Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. It's your girl, that is Jasmine, and welcome to Hella Latino. For those who follow me on Instagram, you probably saw I posted something about um, my life right now and, and how I'm in the midst of transitions. There's a lot of things I can share with you about what that means for me, how it shows up, how I'm navigating it. But I think one of the things I want to share with you today is about while I was editing this episode, there was this sense of lightness and fulfillment that I felt and it just reminded me that this podcast, these conversations, Nuestra Gente are filled with stories that fill our spirits and souls and I am just so honored that I can share some of that light with y'all. Today's guest is Jaime Raul Cepeda. He's part of the 1% of Latinos in politics. He grew up in Mexico, watched his dad build a small business, and his mom advocate for her community through local politics. He came to America at 17 by himself, which he'll talk about in this episode. He went to school during the day and mop floors at night, and even working 45 hours a week, he barely scraped by but still managed to graduate from St. Mary's College and UC Berkeley. During his career, Jaime has helped school districts teach 21st century skills at early grades, helped Fortune 500 companies build people first companies, and also ran for state senate. But I'll stop there. He'll share a lot about his story and what he's done in this episode. And I hope y'all enjoy this conversation. Y que disfruten. Just do some day and and vaporu and and you're you're good. Vaporu, literally what I had. I have a. It's so funny. My best friend gave me. Um, they're called like these candle like wax, almost, and you just put it in a in a candle melter or a wax melter. I don't know what you call it, but it's Vicks. Like the whole like the the fa- fragrance the is smell. literally like vaporu, yeah, huh? That's <laughs> so I'm like, I put it on last night. Y ahora me siento mejor. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. No, but so excited to have you here and thank you for being on the platform. I know you're busy doing work, campaigning, de todo. Yeah. Yeah. All good. <laughs> and we'll Vamos. talk, we'll talk all about it in this episode. But let's start with the first question, and that's how do you identify and why? So I identify as Latino. I identify as uh Mexicano. And I also identify as uh, American, so Mexican American. And why is it's just it's all in my identity. You know, it's it's I grew up in the northern part part of Mexico, so it's it's an interesting place. Like it's 
it's Mexico, but it's also like the United States a little bit. It's like this border town mentality where you can tune in to Fox while also watching, you know, Televisa. And, you know, it's it, you kind of get a lot of that. And so I grew up with a lot of American influences and also a lot of like Mexican influences. And, um, you know, as I think I'll talk about more later on when I when I talk about how or why I decided to do this crazy thing of running for office. It's, you know, I am proud to be both uh, Mexican and I'm both proud to be uh, American. And I also appreciate the opportunities on both ends. Growing up in Mexico and seeing the beauty and also in many ways the horror, right, that's there and sort of the same thing here. Yeah. And talk about, is it your immigration story, your parents, or how was the immigration story and how did you land into the U.S.? Yeah. So my immigration story is interesting because my my parents, they met up in Chicago. And so they made their way to Chicago, totally different paths. My dad uh, came in from Michoacan. My mom came in from uh, Ciudad de Mexico. And uh, they made up there. My mom was uh, a server at a diner and my dad was just finishing up his you know, his shift at the Tootsie Roll factory. And so he <laughs> sat down. My mom noticed that he had really nice legs because he always used to wear shorts. You know, back then it was like the 70s, you know, you like kind of like yeah. really, really short shorts, you know. Uh-huh. Were they a little tight and, too? I don't know. I never asked her that probably. <laughs> she was um, like, yes, legs. <laughs> yeah, she was like, ooh. And, uh, and so she was like, all right, you know, started talking and, you know, the rest is history. And so they, they couldn't stay there, uh, right. Because they weren't there. Uh, they didn't have like documents to stay there. So soon after that, they had to make their way back to Mexico, but they went to uh, the Northern part of Mexico. My dad had family there. And so he set up, he set up a small business there. That's essentially how everything started. And he he started there. And then on a very fateful trip up to Oakland, uh, my mom was pregnant with me. And she says, you know, can I come along? You know, because she she was just like my dad started the business, but my mom was his number one business partner. She would do everything. Right. So they almost like they both they started the business together and he didn't have any employees. He didn't have anything. He just had like a van, a hundred dollars and just a bunch of merchandise that he was going to sell. And so my mom was just helping him with everything. And so he said, you know, can I go with you? And he's like, no, 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 you're, you're about to, you know, uh, uh, you're due any second now. And she's like, no, no, I have like a couple of weeks off. So it's totally fine. Like, all right, fine. And so then she gets on, (laughs) you can probably see where this is going. Um, She gets on, they, they're around the Santa Cruz Valley. And she just looks at my dad and says, oh, it, uh, it's happening right now. It's happening right now. <laughs> and, so, and my dad's like, oh, my oh God. okay, this totally changes everything. And so, you know, long story short, I was born in Watsonville, California. Um, but my parents were still, you know, they still didn't have any sort of documents. They couldn't stay. So I didn't stay at all. You know, it was like I was there for. Uh, a couple of weeks until my mom got better and then on the way back. And so I spent my entire life, well, I mean, my entire childhood in uh, in Mexico until I was 17. And then that's when I made my way over to the U.S. Again, my parents still didn't have any papers. So I said, okay, well, if I'm going to go, I have to go alone. And so I came At to the United States. At 17 years old? 
at 17 years old. Yeah. Mm. At 17 years wow. old, I, uh, I went to Illinois, Rockford, Illinois. Um, cause, uh, my sister, my older sister, she had been there for a little bit. And, uh, and so then I went over there and I don't know, you know, I honestly don't know why I decided to do this, but I said, you know, I want to do this on my own. I want to like, you know, just kind of figure myself out here. And cause you know, I had the option of staying with my sister, but also I knew at the time that my sister, um, you know, was also going through some stuff. Like she was kind of, she was just recently laid off and, you know, I said, I don't want to like be another burden right there. And so I took a, took an apartment by myself. I went to high school during the day. And as soon as I got out of high school, as soon as I got out of class, while everybody was, you know, getting ready to do, I don't know, uh, varsity basketball and asking people out for proms and all that. I went to work. I would go to work, you know, from like two to 11 every single day, mopping floors, cooking meals, um, and just paying bills. Wow. At 17. Yeah. And this was in Illinois? Illinois, Rockford, Illinois. Yeah. Uh, the uh, <laughs> I recently found out that they're the screwdriver capital of the country because I guess they build the most screwdrivers <laughs> out of anywhere else. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> so if you're a screwdriver entrepreneur, yeah. That's right. The place to go. Right. <laughs> well, I, I just want to know more about that journey, that experience. So you 17 decided to move to the U.S. in Illinois. You had never been there, right? This is your first time there, and you weren't living mm -hmm. the regular high school life. You were working, paying bills, which is yeah. something very, very non-typical, right? That's like the immigrant yeah. story of just working. How how was everything else after that? Did you think about college? Did you know that's what you wanted to do? And then, you know, how was your journey up until where you are now? Yeah, so, you know, like I have to say that one of the biggest things that I realized that one of the, the biggest privileges that I've had is I grew up in a great family. Like my mm -hmm. mom, my dad, my sister, they were all just incredibly supportive of everything uh, that I did. We didn't have a lot. Like we grew up in, in a working class, you know, uh, uh, you know, living in, in even in Mexico. So we also didn't lack, you know, a lot every day. Like there were, there were, there were tough times for sure. But I always just felt like they were just constantly nurturing me to say, you can do it. Keep it going. Don't move. Don't stop. Right. Like you got a lot of potential, all those things. Right. That, that, you know, I, I have a son now. And so now that's what I, I try to tell him, you know, I try to encourage him and kind of build up his confidence. Cause I know that once you get out there, not a whole lot of people say that to you, <laughs> you know, right. uh, many people, many right. people say the opposite. They're like, Oh, why are you doing this? No, you're silly. You shouldn't be in this. Like, why are you here? So you kind of have to like build that out um, early on. And, uh, and so, so they always told me is focus on your education. You know, it's like, we can't give you much, but we can always just, you know, they say, so your education is your inheritance. Right. And, um, you know, we're trying our best to just get you the best education we can here in Mexico over there. Don't stop, you know, don't just say, I got a, high school degree. And now let me get to work. Cause I keep going. Uh, it's really easy to do that too. Right. It is. It's really easy Especially when you're that. making you're the like, money. That's what I'm saying. I think that was a big, and I just want to pause real quick because I think this is a really important point. Sure. A lot of people, even in my family, you know, all my brothers and sisters are all undocumented. It's just me and my brother who are the youngest who are us citizens. 
and I'm the youngest of seven to give you some perspective. So my family was always about, you know, educación es todo, you know, when they come to this country, I think that's like, it's power, yeah. right? Having knowledge, having an education, it's really power in this country. And our parents really put that in our heads. And my brothers, you know, they went to community college. They did the best they can with not having the resources as undocumented folks. And they were, and this is like before the DREAM Act was really enacted and it was, you know, popular amongst other communities. But at the time, they didn't really have those resources. And they left. They didn't finish school. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. Some of them ended up not using it and they just ended up working. And I think it's really easy to get caught up in the work because they were like, well, I'm making money this way. I'm not spending money. Right. I'm not spending money on education. I'm making money. And I think by the time I got to my brother, it was really like, all right, you have an opportunity that's a little different than your siblings because you are a U.S. citizen. And it was kind of like me and him were always kind of in a different reality. Right. We're like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to go to a four university. We're going to make it. We're going to make money. (laughs) Like it's all going to be like I just watched In the Heights. So that's going to be forever. Like (laughs) ingrained don't, in me no i won't i won't spoil, don't spoil it. it we're watching it tomorrow <laughs> but, as a family um that's cute i watched it last night with my family they loved it like my dad is not a musical person but he was like this movie's amazing he loved it <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um but i mean the point is i think it's just important to highlight it's a really easy thing to do when you want stability to just work and make that money and not yeah. you know have the, not necessarily patience, but think of things long-term when short-term, you really just need that stability. Yeah. No, I mean, I, and I uh, 100% appreciate that, you know, and I 100%, uh, I, I know that I could have easily gone a, a different direction, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, those are the sort of the things that if you don't come from a working class family, if you don't come from an immigrant family, if you don't come from in many ways, like, uh, you know, uh, Latin family, it's sort of like something where like, why would you have to choose? You know, you might wonder, why would you have to choose? It's like, well, it's, you know, you, you, thankfully you haven't, you haven't had that, you know, choice. And I think for like someone like you and me, that choice is always there. You're always thinking like, well, I see how hard my dad's working. I see how hard my mom's working. I see how much you know, the gap is still there that we still are not able to get everything that we need. We're still struggling. I have a choice, even if nobody's ever asked that of you, it's like, do I keep going to school and, you know, hanging out with my friends and, you know, learning cool stuff and doing this, or do I go and get to work and bring some money that we obviously need? And I'm overly simplifying this because obviously it's not that easy of a choice, but that's sort of the choice. Right. And, um, if you don't grow up in those sort of environments, you're privileged to not have to have that choice. You know, you just said, well, I'm going to school because I'm a kid. Oh, kids go to school. Right. And then, and then college because Oh, you know, uh, uh, young adults go to school, right. Go to college. But if you're like someone like us, you're like, you know, do I keep kind of just doing this thing over here? That's not bringing any mm-hmm. money while I see my dad and my, my mom busting their butt. Um, mm. or do I try to help out? Yeah. You know, and this honestly reminds me of when I went to Guatemala a couple years ago, I I was kind of this, I was a little maestra with all these kids because I was the only one that was <laughs> fluent in Spanish and, and English, right? I can speak both. And I was like, it was so cute being called maestra by all these kids, by the way, because I was like, <laughs> oh, me, maestra? 
And one kid, I remember he came late to class and he was like, hi, maestra, perdóname, because, you know, I, I was working. And I was like, you were working? Mind you, he's wow. nine years old, right? And I was like, trabajando de qué? And he showed me his hands. He's like, oh, my God, I was putting bricks up. We were building this new house down the street. And I'm like, oh, my God, me partió el alma. Because I'm like, yeah. these kids, like, really decide at a really young age. They're like, oh, I'm not going to go to school. I have to work. I have to make money. And it was just wow. so, and I couldn't say anything to him, right? I couldn't be like, no, you should go to school. I'd be like, I get it, but, you know, make sure you take time to study too. But I'm like, I cannot, I can't understand what it's like to live in poverty in another country, in, in deep poverty, you know, like yeah. someone on my episode once said, poverty in the U.S. is so much better than poverty in Mexico. Like she said that from her own experience. And I'm like, that's how a lot of people feel. Like poverty in the U.S. is way better than their own countries, right? Like they're living in like 10 houses or Houses made by brick where it's like tropical and there's like constant storms and no se que. But yeah, I'm like this uno de mis estudiantes, like when he came to me and showed me his hands, I was like, oh my God, at nine years old, just working yeah. like that, skipping school. But just reminds me of, again, there, there's there's that privilege in, in a lot of different ways. And I think that even, and even in my experience, I check my privilege when I go to countries like that and I'm like, wow, I didn't realize how these different realities do coexist. And sometimes I do yeah. have privilege, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I'm sure that when you when you saw that that little guy kind of show you his hands, um, you're, you you kind of had like a different frame for your own life, mm, right? A hundred percent. You were just 100%. like, whoa. And, you know, and, and I think that's, I think that's something that I wish more people would do, like anybody. Mm -hmm. Like I... I, I say this and, uh, you know, sometimes I get a, a little bit of flack for it is I believe every single person has privilege um, in some way, right? Like if you really dig into it, you have some privilege in some way. Like even if you are someone who doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have, you know, a house or anything like that, you're able-bodied. You can get up, you can walk around, you have, a, you have a, a body that works in the way that you want it to. Many people don't have that. Right. And and I don't say that to just belittle anybody's, uh, you know, plight. I do for the complete opposite, because I feel like I think everybody needs help. You know, everybody mm -hmm. needs help and everybody can help in some yeah. way. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's often where I, I just see I don't see that conversation happening that much right now. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, it's kind of like, I don't know, there's like this and I totally get it. But I wish I wish there's like there's there's a there's a path forward there's like this sense of um let me talk about me and and you talk about you and you know when when oftentimes there's a lot of stuff that we have in common a lot of stuff that we could work together on and it doesn't mean that we don't disagree i got 100 like i think it's totally fine to disagree with people but you know i think the the common humanity is lost and it creates this sense of, well, I'll give you an example. One of the things that's that's happening right now that just really uh, pisses me off is the whole um, anti-mask thing, right? So mm. the whole anti-mask yeah. thing, right? So, you know, and so, you know, I'm getting a little- just Roll my little, eyes. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's funny, I'm gonna say, I, I'm getting a little political right now. And part of the reason that I'm so upset about it is because I have to say I'm getting a little political about it, about masks and about all that, right? So, um, 
I believe that one of the biggest issues around that right now is the fact that people just, not people, some of these people, like the people that are doing this, don't want to sacrifice a little bit for the greater good. Like that's that's a big part of what this is, right? And people saying, oh, it's my freedom to not wear that and da-da-da-da. It's like you're confusing freedom for something totally. You're confusing freedom for entitlement. You feel that you're entitled to do whatever you want to do, regardless of the consequences of the people around you. That's entitlement. That's not freedom, you know? So, you know, there's like that's that sort of thing. And I think it's because they don't see themselves connected to the people around them. They don't see themselves connected to that old lady who's trying to shop and is probably feeling very nervous and very stressed because she sees people who are just walking around like nothing. And she knows right. I'm vulnerable to this and I can protect myself all I want, but I can't force them to do anything. Right. And I wish they would. Right. I wish they would just consider me for that. They mm-hmm. don't care about that. They're like, oh, whoever that lady is, that's some that's someone's grandma. That's not my grandma. And I think that's right. the, you know, that's an issue, unfortunately, that I think is getting worse. No, and I think you're right. We're disconnected from humanity. And I think, you know, if I speak from my own experiences and what I've what I've experienced in just like Latinidad, I think that's something that we have so strongly in our community is that power and love for community and family. Yeah. And I mean, I can't tell you how many people I have in my in my family who are not really blood family, but they're like, you grew up with us, you're my tío, you're my tía, you're my prima, you're yeah. my primo, you know, like you're your family. And I think that's one thing that I really value about Latinos is that community is everything to us. And like, I think a lot of people don't have that innately. And like you said, they confuse freedom for entitlement. And it's usually people who have a lot of privilege, right? Right. Exactly. That's <laughs> a certain great type point. of person. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like the more privilege they have, you have, the less likely you think you're part of like a broader community. And the less privilege you have, the more you realize, I, you know, I, I do need other people and people need me. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, that's one of the things that I love about uh, Argente is, you know, there's just, there, you know, you can kind of like walk down any street. Uh, it, it's a little different here in, in the United States, but like in Mexico, you can do that. And, and if you see someone that kind of looks like you, or you kind of think you have like something in common, you just do the kind of, you know, you kind of like nod your head, like, hey, what's up, man? And you don't know who that Mm -hmm. is, but you know, if Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, you know, they remind me of my Theo, or I think I, I've seen them at church or whatever. Um, and you just do that. You know, I love that. I love that part of our, of our culture. Oh my God. I have to tell you this quick story before we go back and see your story, but in that same, in that same vein, this happened literally like a couple weeks ago. I was driving home and I, w- I took a different way home for some reason. It was, I don't know, that day I was feeling different. And so I go through this other road and I'm at a stoplight and I have my, I'm, I'm that Latina who has her her flag hanging on her uh, real, rear view mirror. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And this guy pulls up to me. And I recognized him. I was like, you look familiar. But, you know, then I'm like, every Latino kind of always looks familiar to me, especially <laughs> in San Diego, because I know, like, basically all of them, I feel like. But he like goes up next to me and he looks at my flag and he's like, he like rolls down the window and he's like, so some Nureña? And I'm like, yeah, are you? And then he was like, yeah, soy de Arizona. And this part in Honduras, right? And I was like, wait, we have family from there. And I was like, do you know Kevin? And he was like, yeah, that's my cousin. And I was like, oh my God, you're Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I remembered him like instantly. 
And he was, we were just laughing at the stoplight and he was like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in years. You know, he hasn't really come around. And so we were just like chatting and whatnot. And then like my light turned and I was like, oh, you know, like, mucho gusto, placer, you know, bye. <laughs> and I'm just like, that doesn't happen all the time with people that you don't, that are not familiar. You know, if, like someone random is not going to pull up to me and say, you're Honduran. No, it's going to be that community, right? That's like, oh my God, I feel seen. <laughs> totally. But no, That's I feel you. Story. And I think it's so beautiful. Even when people, I think for me, when people speak Spanish around me, I always feel like, hi. <laughs> I always <laughs> feel like it's so special or like just so like in familia, you know, because I just think it just reminds me, it reminds you of home or even the smells. If you go into like a place that smells like home or like, yeah. like the food that you grew up with. I mean, it's just there's so many things about nuestra cultura and even like the intersectionalities of our cultures. Like I grew up in San Diego, which is heavy in Mexican culture. Yeah. I love Mexican food. I love Mexican culture. I love mariachi. Like there's a lot of things about Mexican culture that I grew up with and like just my surroundings that I'm like, this feels like home too, you know? Yeah, that's funny. Oh. I'm curious, uh, <laughs> a quick question for you. Do, do you... Uh... Do you feel like you speak and have like a different attitude when you speak in Spanish than when you speak in English? Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, 100%. Like when, you, when, like when you're saying, like you're talking to someone purely in Spanish, like you just kind of sound different. People are like, who's this? Yeah, no, it's happened to me so many times where people, I remember another story. I was with a coworker. She was a white woman and we went to Dallas for a conference. It was actually the LinkedIn conference. Which you oh, funny. the <laughs> connect conference and I think it was yeah. Dallas and I went we got a uber and so the guy who was driving us was he had a Puerto Rican flag and I was like oh my god so Puerto Rican you know I started talking to him and then he's like oh y tú hablas español bien and then like I'm just having a whole conversation with him <laughs> and I forgot my coworker was in the car with me and she was like you can just flip back and forth with languages like that and I'm like yeah I can't <laughs> That's my superpower. And she was like, whoa, that's so cool. She was so fascinated by it. I was like, that's literally been my whole life is switching back and forth because we only spoke Spanish at home. We weren't allowed to speak English. Oh, and so good. I'm like thankful my parents were like that. I mean, they don't speak English as much. My dad does a little bit. My mom doesn't at all. She never wanted to learn. And so I'm like, yeah, that was how I grew up. But yeah, no, I feel like I have way more passion in Spanish. Right. <laughs> Right. And I talk more with my hands and I'm just there's I think there's something interesting about Spanish. And I think it depends maybe like where what country you're from. But Hondurans, I, I don't know what it is. Like we there's some like passion we have about the way we talk and we like make a lot of like random not noises. That's weird. But like like, for example, we say be, which means like, dude, it's kind of like a, oh. it's kind of like that. Like, yeah, you yeah, talking yeah. about. And yeah. so, like, in random conversations, we're talking, I'm like, bleh. And, you know, it's, like, weird. And people are like, what are you saying? And I'm like, you know, it's like, like, you know. <laughs> and yeah. it's like we we make noises just like that, like how we do in English. But it's just funny because every country has their own little thing, right? Yeah. Like, I remember having a Dominican friends and they would say, coño, for everything. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> like, well, I'm from the El Norte, so... um Whenever I either go back home and like my wife's with me, my wife's uh, half Mexican, half uh, Salvadoreña, and um, oh, so we speak similar. Yeah, Honduran yeah, Salvadorian she does. Speak uh, very similar. She says, uh, she says, "vos" a lot, like "vos." Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she uses it like when she's scolding me. Usually, 
Because like oh. I'll say like I'll say like, hey, you know, we gotta we gotta wash the dishes. He's like, boss, like saying like, why don't you wash the dishes? Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so so <laughs> she's a uh, yeah, I love her too because uh, she's gonna Aww. hear this, and I want to make sure she hears this. Um, what was I gonna say? Yeah. So when I talk to when I go back home to El Norte, so you were in San Diego, so I grew up in Rosarito. Yeah, I'm sure you mm. you're probably uh, familiar yep. with it. And uh, so I grew up in Rosarito. Whenever I go back home and my mom's, my wife's there and I talk to like my neighborhood, you know, my childhood friends who are there, she just kind of looks at me like, wow, you like talk so different when you're like, oh, in Spanish, you you talk like very golpeado, you know, and mm. like really fast. And yeah. and you just kind of like mush words together and you get like kind of like really sassy. And I was like, well, that's just kind of what it's in the it. Norte. Yeah, no, that's, how it, that's how it is in the Norte. And then um, my friends that I have up here, uh, they're they're from like Guanajuato and uh, Michoacan. Uh, probably like 50% of our conversation is just saying, ah, to each other. Like, yeah. <laughs> like not stuff. <laughs> like that's just, it's kind of like saying like, well, what about you? Or it, it also can mean... Um, Oh, well, you know, uh, what was the other one? Like, you could say, like, what about you? Or, uh, oh, very fancy. Or, like, look at you. Yeah. And it just means, like, a whole bunch of different things. Isn't it's just, it so like, a funny chat. how, like, the way you say it, the tonality of how you, like, make the noise, it, yeah. it like, changes the definition of it. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's, like, 50 different ways of saying it. It's so funny. And I love that you get a little sassy. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, you get like very kind of wound up when you're talking in Spanish. Like, I don't know, that's how it is in the Norte. We talk fast and yeah. very kind of angry a little bit. I don't know why. <laughs> that's so funny. That's so yeah. funny. And I think it's the same with like when all our families together, we just get, I think our, our Spanish voice is always like a little up in volume. It just like oh, yeah. 10 times up and we're just like loud. Yeah. yeah, it gets really loud and we really just, fast. And we just interrupt each other, which I know can be annoying sometimes. We're just talking all over each other. And it's like, and and I I mean, I love that. I think it's just sometimes it's it's weird if the outs. I know I've brought people that didn't speak Spanish or didn't speak like a Honduran type of Spanish. And they're like, you guys speak so fast, like just so fast. <laughs> and it's, and I've, I've heard that from friends before. It's like, you don't finish your words because Hondurans don't really like pronounce their S a, as much. Like, you know, oh, really? like, you know, well, it depends what type of, you know, where, where in Honduras you're from. But my family, it's not like we don't pronounce our S's, but it's just like, we kind of skip over it a little bit. It's like kind like of, how, we brush over it. Like what's an example of that? I'm trying to, I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe it. We just kind of like, it's just part of, I don't know. We just dance over it. But I think it depends because my dad also has like a different journey when he came to the U.S. He lived in Mexico. So even my my family, when they talk to him, they're like, you don't even sound Honduran anymore. You sound Mexican. <laughs> and he's like, what? And he grew up around, he said Chilangos, like in the DF. Oh, yeah. DF, that's so he lived there for he lived there for years. And that's where he learned how to eat spicy because Hondurans don't like spice. He yep. like started eating like all this spice and introduced it to the family. And so like me and him are the only ones who eat spice. Everyone else looks at us like we're crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, it's live. so good. It's That's so good. Live. But and I it's funny because I think again, it's like the beauty of the intersectionalities. Cause my my Theo, I remember my Theo from Miami, all my dad's side of the family lives over there. He was visiting and he was telling my dad, like, you speak so Mexican now. Like he's like, you don't have your Honduran accent. And he was like, he was, he's like, 
you have a, a Cuban accent now. And he was like, really? And they were both just like laughing at each other. Like, oh my God, we lost our accents. And it just depends on the surroundings you're with. Right. And I'm sure. like, I can only, I can only imagine how easy it is for me to not sound that Honduran and sound a little like fusion of Mexicana with American, with Hondureña, whatever the mixes are. But it's still, it's like almost like this superpower and beauty of these new wave of Latinos who are living in these different places. And we kind of like pick up other parts of different cultures that we love. Right. Totally. 100%. Mm. I love mm. it. Well, let's, let's go back to your story. <laughs> we diverted a little bit, but I want to go back to your story of, did you go to college? Is, is that something that you always knew you wanted to do? Oh, yeah. Or what was your journey after high school? Yeah. So, um, yeah, my, like I said, like my parents were always emphasizing education and even while I was working and I wasn't making a lot of money, like I said, you know, I, I was barely getting by. I was, I got pretty deep into debt. I wasn't paying for any luxuries or anything like that, but I got a flat tire, got a broken toe, didn't have enough money for that. And so kept going deeper and deeper into debt. Um, I mean, it was so bad that at, uh, I think once I, once I graduated from high school, I had, um, the debt that I had was almost as much as I would make in any given year, like gross, you know, just like mm. it was, I would have to pay nothing else, but, uh, my credit card bills to be able to get out of it for all the money that I made. And, mm. you know, so it wasn't good, but, you know, I always had the idea of like, I have to go to college because that's you know, what I, what I feel I should be doing. I could easily just stay here and keep working. And there were a lot of people there where I was working that had done that. Like they were in their forties and fifties and they'd been working there for 15, 20 years and never finished high school, you know, like kind of those choices that we talked about. And so I applied to a couple of places. I didn't know much. So I asked my high school counselors like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not a stellar student. So where do you think I should apply? And I kind of want to get out of Illinois. No offense to Illinois, but like mm -hmm. the winters here are rough. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to go to California if I can. And so he's like, well, you know, take out this, check out this little school in Moraga um, that I keep hearing a lot of great things about. It's small. Um, it's, a, it's a LaSallean school. They might give you a shot. I'm like, all right. So I applied to a few different places. All of them rejected me except this one, St. Mary's College mm -hmm. in California. So I went there, had a great time. Uh, I think I kind of like found my my civic spirit there, right? Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I ended up like, I started the, the first political club on campus ever. And I ended up graduating at the top of my department in politics. And I had a great time. And I really feel like that really just gave me a good amount of momentum. And after that, I, I spent a good amount of time in education. I was helping like school districts all across the country teach 21st century skills to their kids. And I spent some time in the nonprofit world as well uh, by helping fundraise for nonprofits and also for schools. And then I made my way to uh, the small business, which I stayed with for a long time, which is a great place to work, who, uh, who focused primarily on helping organizations do well financially, but also do good for their employees and their community. So it's a, it's a small, but awesome, um, you know, little company out of Oakland. And I became a small business executive there. I kind of made my way up through the ranks and 
yeah, now I'm at LinkedIn where now I'm, you know, in tech and I spend as much time as I can advocating for, you know, Latinos and Latinas to get into tech because we're, mm. you know, we're few and far between, unfortunately, in tech. There's not a lot of us and right. there's very few of us that are in leadership positions. And so, you know, like what we we're talking about earlier with privilege, it's like now I have the privilege to be here. And so what am I going to do to bring in the next generation of you know, uh, of folks here that can step up to be leaders, you know, and lift our people up. Right. right. And I love that you said that because I, I'm not trying to spoil in the Heights for you. And I think this is something that I've always thought about, but it's yeah. kind of in the movie, but <laughs> it's worth mentioning here because I think growing up, you know, for, for me, at least I grew up in, in kind of the hood, right. in in a low income yeah. black and Brown community. And I'm thinking of your story growing up as a 17 year old trying to pay for your, your, is it your toe, <laughs> your broken toe? Um, and trying never, to work, trying I was to, never to, to do that, by the way. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you're like, it'll heal. But you know, you're trying to just like get out. And I think it's really easy, at least in my story. I thought of it like, I want to get out of here. I want to get out of the hood. I want to make it out. And then I got to college and I started meeting more people. And the more I got into just like knowing more about what it means to be an adult, what it means to work in tech. I didn't even know tech was a big thing until I went to San Jose State, which I didn't know was a center of Silicon Valley. I didn't even know what Silicon Valley was. <laughs> but for a long time, I was learning all these things. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a way to represent my people. Right. And like represent like what we can do, what we're capable of. And I think for a lot of my life, I always thought of it like. I want to get out. I want to get out. I want to make it big. I want to get out. And it's like, no, you like bring people in with you. And I think that's what you're doing right now is like you're you didn't just get out. You didn't just make it out of Illinois. You didn't just make it out of like the debt. But you're like now paying it forward and you're bringing people with you and you're trying to like open up that pipeline for people like us. Right. For our community. So I think that's beautiful. And I love that there's Latinos out there doing that. <laughs> so big kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you. It reminds me, you know, like, um, I, uh, you know, what you were saying about kind of like finding a way of bringing people in rather than getting out reminds me of, I, I, I got my, uh, MBA. I recently completed my MBA from Berkeley a couple of years ago and I was doing that at, it was terrible timing, but as you, as you probably know, you know, great things happen all at once. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's no good time to do great things. And so I, I signed up to, to get my MBA, uh, five months after I found out that my wife was pregnant, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, and then like a few months after I got this big promotion where I was like now in charge of this whole department. And, um, and a lot of people, once I was going through the program, were just looking at me like, you're crazy. Why are you doing this? You don't have to do this right now. Like there's just so much going on. Um, but I just, I don't know. It's like this, this sense of urgency to say, I only have this, this sh one shot. I only have this one life to be able to do whatever I can with it. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of like to, to borrow Hamilton, you know, I'm not throwing away my shot, you know, it's like, I love Hamilton. Is, yeah, we do too. We love <laughs> Hamilton. And I, I just love that as a beautiful immigrant story, you know, people, you know, obviously look at the history, but I think at the core of it, it's a great immigrant story. Um, but anyway, so I was doing that, all these things together. And so oftentimes I would say at the office very late, not because I was doing work. I mean, I already had finished the work, but because I would pull out like my statistics book from my, you know, uh, business school classes. And I would just kind of be leafing through it and doing the work because I knew as soon as I got home, 
you know, my kid would be there and obviously I wanted to be 100% focused on him um, and mm. not kind of show him that I'm too busy for him. You know, just like kind of those, mm. I wanted to, to be there uh, fully. And I remember I would do that and it was so late that like the cleaning ladies will come in, right? Mm. And and I knew the cleaning ladies pretty well because I would, you know, talk to them and all that and all of them were Latina. And um, I remember this one time, like this, uh, I think her name was Rebecca. She was, she was cleaning around me. I was in my cubicle and she would be like, ¿Qué estás haciendo? And it's like, oh, estoy leyendo aquí de, este, de estatísticas porque tengo que hacer para mi clase. And she's like, well, what are you in school for? And I was like, well, I'm getting my MBA at Berkeley. And she looked, she gave me like a look, you know, like she gave me a look that my mom would give me, right? She gave me that look of like, muy bien, mijo, échale ganas. And then, and then she just asked me, you know, can I bring you something? Can I get you some water or something? Like, just like my mom would give me it, it, you know, it, it like, you know, even keeps me like a little bit emotional right now because I feel like that moment reminded me of, of so much. Like here's this woman who's probably like in her fifties or sixties, who probably has to go home. She might be the sole provider of her home. You know, she's, she's doing literally backbreaking work at her age. And to be able to provide for her, you know, kids and maybe even grandkids so that they can have a better future, which is, you know, very similar to like my own upbringing. And so then she was looking at me with like this, this pride of saying, yeah, you go, you go get him and, and, you know, lift us all up. Um, and that just stays with me, you know, because I, I realized the privilege that I had not only to work there, be, be there in that moment, be studying that, be in the school that I was in having the opportunities that I'm going to have is like, I can't, I can't just think of those things as like, what am I going to get out of it? Right. I just don't mm -hmm. think of those terms, but it's like, how can I do this and help other people out? You know? Mm, and that's beautiful. And I think that there's someone once asked me like, how do you get over imposter syndrome? And I'm like, yeah, that, that doesn't leave ever. In my opinion, yeah. I don't know if I've ever, I'm ever going to get over it. But at the same time, I, I kind of view it as a strength because whenever I have moments of imposter syndrome, I think, no, I'm not doing this just for me. You know, I'm doing this for every single family member that is looking up at me, every family member that couldn't do what they, you know, where they what they wanted to do because of lack of resources, lack of money, lack of opportunity, lack of documents, right? Or even my nieces and nephews, my little cousins that are still growing up in the hood that are still growing up in Southeast San Diego or still growing up in these, you know, low income neighborhoods and that don't see examples of Latinos out there that are doing something different. And that's, that's literally what gives me over any hump that I have or any, you know, moments of doubt where I'm like, no, it's bigger than me. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's bigger than you. And I can just imagine how you would feel when like a senorita comes over to you. She's like, Oh my God, like that's it maybe reminded her of her own family, of her own son, her own like, you know, nieto, whatever the case may be. She's like looking at you with, you know, this is like the future for my family. And I think yeah. that's, that's the beautiful part. Mm. Love it. Snaps. <laughs> snaps, to, <laughs> snaps to that senora. Oh my God. I can just imagine her, but let's go into our cafecito and cheese portion because I want to know about what you're doing with your campaign. And I want to hear a little bit more about it and how you decided to go into that from Berkeley to LinkedIn to where you are now with your campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but um, 
there's only, I think if you look at the number of Latinos or Latinas that have elected office anywhere in the country, um, it's only 1% of all elected offices are, are occupied by a Latino or Latina. 1% out of all of these, right? And and then you think, okay, well, it's got to be better in California, right? I mean, California, you know, it's got to lead the way. And it's not really the case, you know, like the people that make the laws that impact you and me every single day from things around education, things around, you know, how funded your communities are, things around, you know, how do we make sure that we have accountability for law enforcement, all of these different things are, you know, they're done by state legislatures, right? And, um, and the state legislators that we have, just 25% of them are Latino or Latina. And, and we make up close to 40% of the state, right? And so when you look at these, there's like, there's more, but you know, when you look at this stuff, um, and also very few of them, I think only 12 out of 126 of them came from another country. So when you look at this, mm-hmm. you know, you think, okay, how, how are they supposed to represent us? Right. Mm-hmm. When there's very few of us there with them. Um, so that was, that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm doing this, you know, and I'm honestly, and people don't believe me when I say this, you know, I honestly don't care if I don't win. If I win, fantastic. That's exactly what I want. If I, it, uh, it, it'd be great. If I don't win, I will still be ecstatic if I change the conversation that's happening right now. And the conversation that needs to change is we need more leaders like us, leaders that come from working class or poor communities. We need more leaders that are from underrepresented groups. Uh, We need more leaders that are, you know, women leaders. We don't have enough of them. It's like, we need more of that. And we need to just constantly do better at that. And that's sort of what I'm, I'm I'm putting myself out there for. Right. And the other thing is we need to have a, uh, we need to have those kind of people in office so that we're able to really treat these challenges that we have in a holistic way. Like how can you think about how to solve for poverty when you've never experienced it in any way? Right. Like, like, yeah, you know, you can read and study and all that stuff, but if you're in a room and there's no right, there's no perfect answer and you don't know what it viscerally means to like live paycheck to paycheck, go into debt because you don't have enough money for medication what are you going to fall back on? You're going to fall back on your life story. And if your life story does not include any of that, what kind of decision are you going to make? Are you going to make the right decision for the right people? And so that's, you know, that's a large reason of why I'm, I'm running, you know, is to just put that out there and have a different sort of conversation that we're having right now. Um, unfortunately with the same kind of people that have been there for a long time, even in a place like California. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I decided to do that. Uh, I've been thinking about this for, for some time, but I decided to do that based on my experience working with different community organizations that deal with issues like homelessness, that, you know, help out um, with immigrant rights, that help out with uh, education for low-income students, and that help out in the areas of domestic violence. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm not saying anything that nobody's heard already, because of the pandemic, all of those things have gotten incredibly worse, right? 
uh, it just gotten so much worse from where it was to where it is now. And so these inequities, you know, I just, I just saw them on the ground with the people that I worked with, with the communities that I helped with, with the organizations that I was a part of. And so that really motivated me to say is like, now's the time, you know, now's the time to just jump in and be a part of the conversation because we're such a, such a pivotal moment uh, during a crisis and now emerging out of a crisis, like how are we going to rebuild right rather than go back to normal, which wasn't very good mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Normal wasn't great right. for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. And I fear that's like happening, right? It's like, oh, you want to go back to normal five days a week in the office, 40 hours a week. Like that's crazy. Like the whole workforce has to really evolve with these new evolved ideals that I think the pandemic gave the world, right? It, like, I think really it just was a moment of awakening for a lot of people to really mm -hmm. value the things that are important, like your health, your family, whatever it is that you call home, like all of those things I think was reintroduced to us of like, this is what's really important in life. <laughs> and it's like crazy. Pero también el dinero, you know, like that's also important. Education, all those things continue to be important. But how do we, again, like reimagine a new world for this new, I think, evolved human that I, mm -hmm. I don't know is living more by their ideals, but yeah, so interesting. And I just want to applaud you for doing what you're doing because 1% of Latinos, that's crazy. It's bad. I'm not, I'm not know. surprised, but I didn't know that. Right. So it's crazy. It's crazy. But I think you're paving the way and I'm hoping you. you do win. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Vote for Jaime, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you want to learn more, go to cepedaforsenate.com, putting the plug out there. You can also just look yeah. me up on any of the socials uh, by my full name, Jaime Raul Cepeda. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to talk, I'd love to talk. I mean, that's really what I'm doing right now is I'm connecting with as many people as possible and hearing them out and what's important to them. So I'm on a, I'm on a big uh, listening tour, virtually, obviously, over the phone. But if you all want to talk, I'll talk. I want to hear what's important to you. And love it because that was my next question. How can people connect with you? Yeah, you know, I, you know, we always, uh, I can always count on more friends. So if you want to bring your friendship here, you know, <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Instagram. I'm on TikTok now, which I never thought I'd have to be in, but oh. here I am. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to see me. <laughs> yeah, seriously. If you want to see me uh, make a fool of myself, go straight to TikTok. That's exactly where you need to go. Um, <laughs> but you just can look me up. Jaime Raul Cepeda. Um, you can also just send me an email if that works for you. So it's join at cepedaforsenate.com. And, uh, you know, if you want to learn more about the campaign, if you want to be involved in the campaign, if you want to chip into the campaign, we need all of that. So one of the things that I've made is I've made a personal pledge where I'm not accepting any big business money. So all mm -hmm. the money that's coming into my campaign is from individual contributors who just, you know, feel like they, they want to be a part of this. So it's fully grassroots. Uh, I'm not accepting any big business money because I don't know how any politician could make the right choice for their people when they got business, you know, funding their, their pocketbooks. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a wild, odd thing about politics where the people who, make the laws get funded by the people who have to obey the laws nowhere else in the world does that happen <laughs> you know and so i'm i'm taking i'm actually the only candidate that's taking a pledge that i'm not going to accept any of that money i'm only going to accept it from people uh, in my community so if you want to chip in donate or connect i'd love to talk to you 
Mm, love it. And let's close this conversation out with the brindis, with our tecito and cafecito. Okay. But this brindis, what I like to do is just a virtual cheers where I give you the space to manifest some good for our Latino community. So what do you want to cheers to and what do you want to manifest? Ooh, that's great. So a brindis to all of the Latinos out there, all the Latinas out there. And uh, for us to take a step back and realize the power that we have. We're an incredibly powerful, growing community in not only in California, but the whole United States. And I think that gives us the opportunity to just change so many things. It changed the narrative of how people see us and how we see ourselves to change the, the power that we have in politics and business and community. Um, and I think it starts by just realizing that we are really damn powerful, right? And um, and I would love us to just own up that power a lot more and step in, get involved, you know, help out in your community, step up to a leadership role that you don't feel 100% comfortable and ready for, you are. You're 100% ready for that role. Um, and we need your voice in these powerful positions, in these leadership roles. We don't have enough of that. And that's part of the reason why we're having the same conversations, dealing with the same problems, because we don't have our voice in that conversation. Mm. Love it, love it, love it. Step into your power. That's what I'm hearing. Salud. Yeah. Muchas gracias. Salud. Thank you for being here. Thank <laughs> you. Thank my you little cafecito and cheese mitt. Salud. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode and thank you Jaime for sharing your story and sharing a little bit about who you are and what you're up to and for everyone listening shout out to you for tuning in and loving Hello Latino if you want to follow Jaime and all the work that he's done go to www.cepedaforsenate.com follow him on all social media channels at Jaime Raul Cepeda and if you want a little bit more of Hello Latino check out my new IG page at Hello Latino Podcast you can also follow me on my personal Instagram at ojasmine4as and find me on LinkedIn check out my website Olalis Jasmine for any other information con mucho amor tu amiga hondureña <laughs> <laughs>